Welcome to North Boston Korean United Methodist Church. Here we are a family that seeks to love others in the way that Jesus loves us and raise people up in his love. We are grateful to have you listen in. So regardless of who you are, you are always welcome here. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com. Good morning, everyone. Ah, when will we? It's okay. Ready? Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. We always have one minute left to say that. Uh, it's really wonderful to see everybody here this morning. Uh, could we just look to the person on our right and left and say, "Good morning. It's wonderful to see you." Maybe you guys can ask each other how y'all are doing. How'd you spend your week? I've missed you, you know? We're gonna continue to spend a minute to pray for um, Haiti and Afghanistan. Um, we're just gonna continue to pray because just because we pray once doesn't mean all of a sudden it's over. Our brothers and sisters are actively, I believe, I believe the governments, the democratic governments of the world have um, like 40, a little bit over 48 hours to get everybody out right now. So um, I don't know, I like I said, I don't know about you guys. I don't know if you guys have people on the ground that are affected. Um, for me, I, I, we, have, we have people that are affected, um, ministry partners and, and service workers. And so if we can just pray, um, we've, got, we've got soldiers on the ground that look like us, Korean American soldiers, you know, Asian American soldiers, soldiers of color that um, are actively working uh, to in the, in the biggest humanitarian effort that the U.S. has ever done in modern in recent in recent history. Um, so, yeah, let's just take this moment to pray for our brothers and sisters. Uh, starting now, let's just let's just pray. We thank you, God, for you all reign. Lord, we just pray, Father God, for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. We just lift up, Father, every single person. God, we just pray that you would be present, that you would be in their midst. Jesus, that you would be magnified, that you would be glorified. God, we pray, Father, that you would help, help them, Lord. Help them. Help them, God. We believe in your power. We believe in who you are. We believe in you, God. We believe and who you are. And so, Lord, we just pray that, Lord, that you would bring comfort, that you would, that your hand would come and guide this mission, that souls would be saved, that lives would be saved, Jesus. Amen. Lord, we pray for Haiti. God, Lord, we pray that you would bring comfort and healing to those who are mourning. God, that you would bring plentiful what was lost to your people, Jesus. That communities would look to you, Jesus, and find strength in you, God. We don't understand what they're going through, but we do when we're with them. And so, Lord, we appeal to you. We appeal to your mercy. We appeal to your grace and your power. Amen. All right, we're going to 
continue through our sermon series. Uh, we started in the beginning of this sermon series, but we're actually going to backtrack to, or start in the middle, but we're actually going to backtrack to the beginning. We'll be going through the Sermon on the Mount for basically the rest of the year. So if you guys can open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 5. Could we all rise for the reading of God's holy and perfect word? This is the word of the Lord. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he's, he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you just join me as we pray, as we remain standing? Abba. So good to be in your presence. Abba, would you, would you focus all of our minds and our hearts to be attentive to you, God? Attentive to what you are speaking for. Abba, would you, would you just focus us? Abba, would you help us to want you? Would you help us to want you more than the things of this world? Abba, would you help us to want to live alongside you, live for you, Jesus? Abba, help us, help us, help us. Purify our hearts, Lord. We come before you, Jesus, and we pray, Lord, that you would make yourself known amongst your people, that your word would come into ears and hearts. Abba, hide me behind your cross, that only you are magnified and only you are glorified. Fill me with your spirit. Give me your power and anoint my lips with your wisdom and your righteousness, for it is yours and yours alone. This church is yours and yours alone. So we lift up this church to you. We lift up everything to you. Be magnified in us. Be glorified. We love you so, so much. Help us to love you more. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Y'all may be seated. We're just going to jump right in. 
How many of you guys have heard a sermon on the Beatitudes? Just by a show of hands. Have you heard a sermon on the Beatitudes before? Oh, it's like about half. This, y'all can put your hands down. This is about like one of the most famous couple chapters in scripture, just because this is seen to be like the pinnacle of Christ's teachings. And I'm not gonna lie, when the Lord first asked me to do this, I was like, really? Cause I'm sure many of y'all have heard it before, but I think God wants to do a new thing in us coming out of quarantine and so, or not coming out of quarantine, as we are, as we are still in the midst of COVID and, and as our hearts have been uprooted. Um, so yeah, we're just gonna delve right in. I know this is a sermon or a passage that you might've heard before, but I pray for fresh eyes. Um, if you guys, if you guys don't take notes and you want to take notes, today is the day on your notes app or whatever, if you can, you know, if you are taking notes, today's the day to take copious notes. Um, there's a lot to be gleaned from this place, okay? So the context of this chapter is in the first verse. Right off the bat, we see, when Jesus saw the crowds, he ascended a mountain. Right off the bat, he sees a crowd, Jesus sees a crowd, and he goes the other way. He's my kind of guy. Sounds a little introverted. All right? Is Jesus avoiding people? Yes and no. Jesus goes away from the crowd to address the disciples personally. It's not necessarily about who he's avoiding, but it's about who he's actually setting aside his time to see. We see here that God is not just a God that goes to the masses and says everything to the masses, but he is a God that meets people intimately, that has a specific time and a specific place for everything. So this is not about everyone. This is not about passive participants in scripture and in church. This is about active participants. A lot of the times we might use the Beatitudes as a feel-good sermon, as a feel-good passage. I'm mourning. I will be comforted. I'm persecuted. I will be blessed. I want you guys to know this sermon is for active participants of scripture, okay? And so if you are not an active participant right now in your faith, this is a call and an invitation to be active. That teachings in scripture are not often just for everyone. And so this, this, just spoiler alert, the Beatitudes, they're about sanctification. Can you say sanctification? Sanctification. Say it aloud with your mouths. Sanctification. Sanctification is the act of walking in step with a relationship with God and how that is manifested in your life. And this is about sanctification. So if y'all are not active participants in your faith, here is your invitation to be active. So I've been saying, oh, this is the Beatitudes, this is the Beatitudes. So what, you know, I'm quite cerebral, and I don't like to keep things too vague. What is a beatitude? What is a beatitude? A beatitude is a blessing attached to a promise. The purpose of a beatitude, it is a moral, it is a, a moral call 
that is attached to a promise. And there are 12 Beatitudes in here. Or, yes. No, nine, ten. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, not nine. Nine Beatitudes. Nine Beatitudes that are attached to a promise. Contrary to the fact that there are nine, there are actually three major categories. There are three major categories to these teachings, okay? To need God. Three major categories of Beatitudes. The first is to those who need God or depend on God. The second is those who live for God and how that manifests. And third is for those who are persecuted. So there are three major categories for the Beatitudes. And so we're going to go through these because there's a lot. I know when you first read this, it sounds a little lofty. It sounds really outdated. But this is actually really practical wisdom. And it's really practical uh, guard hallmarks of sanctification in practice. And Jesus takes us through it. So first, blessed are those who depend on God. That first category, blessed are those who depend on God. And I'm going to kind of go through four bullet points of the different things that are mentioned. First, of blessed are those who depend on God, the poor in spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Even though it says in spirit, don't be fooled. This is actually talking about an economic struggle. People who are economically struggling and have to rely on God. So blessed are the poor in spirit. It's people who are poor economically, socioeconomically, and therefore are poor in spirit. And they are forced to, they're in a situation, they are forced to rely on God. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. That's what poor in spirit is about. What is the promise that is attached to that? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What's very interesting about this is that it is not future tense, it is present tense. Take note of the future and present tenses throughout the promises. This one is theirs is the kingdom of God today. Why is that important? This particular promise has the connotation, the underlying theme of authority and inheritance. And it's not talking about a current saving from your poverty, but it's saying for those who are economically struggling, who are relying on the Lord, yours is the kingdom of heaven today. You might reap that tomorrow, but your authority, your inheritance is in God today. The second of those, blessed are those who depend on God. So the first are those who are poor in spirit. The second is the mourners. I don't know if you guys have experienced grief before. We tend to understand grief in one context, in the context of death, in the context of a breaking of a relationship, be it a breakup, a severing of a friendship tie. Here, 
To mourn is defined, and because it's a reference, the word itself is a reference to Isaiah 61. And the definition of mourning here is people who groan under the weight of either sorrow or guilt. And this shows the complexity of grief. When people grieve, even when somebody dies, when people grieve, it's not just sorrow that that person is gone. Often there is guilt associated with words left unsaid, actions left undone. When you grieve over a broken relationship, often it's not just the sorrow of longing for somebody, but it's also the grief of having not done right by that person. You can also grieve your sin. When you have wronged somebody, when you have wronged the Lord, or when you have rebelled against God, say it's been a while since you've been thinking about God, caring about God. A lot of the times, the reason why we have a hard time coming before the Lord is what? Guilt. That is also grief. Because it is a severing of a tie. And so the way that this is defining mourning is not just in the context of death as we know it, because God cares about so much more than that. But it's talking about grieving sin, grieving relationships, having sorrow or guilt, being sorry. who turn to God for help or forgiveness. It's a specific posture of grief where you are not being reclusive. Grief can either lead you in two directions. It can lead you to drive yourself away from the people that love you and the people that you love and be isolated. Or grief can drive you to the people that you love, that love you. Grief is a very profound emotion that can lead you in each direction. You might, one, be grieving, and so you run back to church. Or you might, two, grieve, and so you run away from church. You've gotten it into your minds that people have a particular view about you in one way or another, and then you start to run the opposite direction. You make excuses for yourself, you project, even though this person hasn't said anything about you, you project your insecurity onto that person saying, oh, that person must be surely judging me, and what do you do? You run the opposite direction. That is a form of grief. But this is, in particular is talking about the posture of grief where you go to God, either for help in the midst of your sorrow. Somebody has hurt you, somebody has broken you. You have lost somebody or forgiveness. And to these mourners, God promises what? Comfort. Why this is so important, why the definition of mourning is so important is that when we think of comforting somebody, we think of comforting somebody who is sad. We do not think of comforting somebody who has guilt. But to those who mourn, to those who look to God either for help or for forgiveness, 
For those who have lost, either because of things outside of their control or who have lost relationships, communities, people as a result of their own action. To those who have lost their relationship with the Lord or their, or technically you can never lose God, but who have lost the sense of closeness with the Lord, either because of their own sorrow towards another person or because of their own sin, whatever it may be, when you've experienced loss because of your action or because of things outside of your control, God promises comfort. But this is a specific kind of grief that is not running away. This is talking about an attitude in your life, whether or not you have done something wrong, whether or not you have done something right, whether or not you have gained or you have lost, an attitude that walks toward God for what you need in that moment. It's a mindset thing. And to those who grieve, God promises comfort. That means to your lack, to your weakness, to your brokenness, and to your sorrow, God promises not judgment, not discipline, although those things are all necessary, but comfort. Our God is a God of comfort, not just a God of conviction. The third, blessed are those who are meek. This is also a reference to Isaiah, because he said, they shall inherit the earth. That is a quote of scripture. I believe it's in the book of Psalms where it says, the meek shall inherit the earth. So to some extent, it is talking about people who are poor in spirit. People who are oppressed. People who have been humbled. But either way, regardless of whether or not there's a connotation to oppression or and a connotation to justice, there are two modes of meekness. There's an internal meekness and an external meekness. An internal meekness is humility. What is the definition of humility? Humility is not when somebody says, oh, Jane, like, you're so like this and that, you're so good at this and that. It's like, oh, no, that's not humility. Humility is a proper understanding of yourself in light of the Lord. Understanding that in light of a perfect and unlimited God, I have wronged, I have been broken, I have been limited, I have fallen short. Humility is a reality check that leads us to lay low, to not think of ourselves so high, to not think of our perspective and our feelings so high, but to lay low. One thing to really note is that in your sorrow, in your insecurity, in your pain, you can lack meekness. What I mean by that, I'm not saying, oh, Jane Doe is attacking people who are hurt. No, never, not in a gazillion years. But I am saying sometimes our pain leads us to be so absorbed in our own experience that we might not have a proper view of ourselves in light of God. 
Internal meekness is humility. External meekness manifests itself in gentleness. Jane Doe, are you telling people to be submissive? No. To be gentle with somebody is not a matter of your volume. We've got some loud people in this sanctuary. I take the cake. I am one of the louder ones. But hey, I'm, I can be pretty introverted too. We've got some, we've got some extroverts. I know all of y'all. Most of y'all can be pretty crazy. Meekness and gentleness, often we consider it in, in being demure. But meekness is actually not a matter of volume. It's not a matter of gender stereotype. It's not a matter of maturity. It's a relational word. To be gentle with somebody. It's not a matter of being boisterous or non-boisterous. It's not a matter of being loud or quiet. But it's being gentle with somebody else. So our internal humility manifests itself in gentleness, relationally. So for those of us who have a hard time being gentle, in the midst of being hardened, who have a hard time being gentle with another person, that's a lack of meekness externally. But the meek will inherit the earth. We see this promise attached to this mindset. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty. Is this talking about literal hunger and thirst? No. It's talking about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. So here it means hungering and thirsting for doing what is right before God. Note that one never truly attains it, but at all times strives with one's strength to obey God. So this is talking about somebody, it's a mindset. It's not saying that you're there. It's not saying that you're perfect. Ain't nobody telling you to be perfect, okay? But blessed are those who hunger for the Lord. For they shall be, the word they use here is filled. What it means is your needs will be satisfied. Have you ever longed for something before? Often we chase after something. All my life, I have chased after the desire to belong. In a community, to a family, to a person. When I was younger, I didn't know that my greatest insecurity was a lack of belonging. I would get into relationship after relationship, hop from friend group to friend group, be in and out of church, wrestling with belonging. Oftentimes, there is something in our hearts that we are striving for, that we are hungry for. God is saying, blessed are those who hunger for me. More than the need to belong more than the need to be loved, more than the need to be needed, 
more than the desire to be protected, more than the desire to be secure, to know me, to know that God is greater than our greatest need and to want me. He's saying, I will satisfy those who will want me more. Who will want me more. So we see here four different mindsets of depending on God. When you're poor in spirit, when all your options have been exhausted and you're relying on the Lord, when you mourn, when you mourn the death of a relationship, the death of a loved one, the death of life as you know it, a lapse of judgment that might lead to the severing of a soul tie, a lapse of judgment that might lead to the severing of the perceived severing of your relationship with God. For those who grieve and run to God for help or forgiveness in your lack, in your brokenness, Jane, I haven't been perfect. Jane, I've broken relationships. Jane, I haven't been reading. I've forgotten what it's like to live with the Lord. Jane, I've done something terrible and I've lost people that I love. Jane, I'm limited, I'm weak, I've made mistakes. To you, who choose instead of, not, instead of isolating yourselves and wallowing in that grief, who choose to run to the Lord for help or forgiveness, God offers comfort. To you who have come to a realization of who you are and your limitedness, who have come to an end of yourself. To you who is learning to be gentler with other people because you have come to understand your limitedness. God promises inheritance. To you who are hungry for God, who have sought after things for a long time, people, belonging, desires, whatever it may be, who have sought after things for a long time, and who have come to learn, maybe have come to an existential end in and of itself, where it's like, no matter how much I want this, I'm never gonna be satisfied. And who have come to the point of some level of clarity, what is it about God? Maybe I might want God more. Maybe God might be better, greater than my greatest desire. Maybe there is something about God that extends past the greatest thing that I could strive for. To those of you who are hungry, and what I love about that, this bit about hunger, oftentimes we think God blesses people who are far along in their faith. And yes, he does. He does. We look at people like me, or maybe even like Amy, your team leaders, Amy, Tim, like people who serve the area, serve your church, people that you might look up to in faith. We think, oh, God blesses them more than me. Here we see a promise to people who are hungry, 
to people who have not gotten that satisfaction from the Lord, to people who have not been far along in their walks with God, to people who are still seeking God, to people who have fallen short of his glory. We see a promise here. You will be satisfied. When you choose to be hungry for God more than people, more than the things of this world, there is a promise. When you choose to seek after, to depend on God, there is a promise here. And that promise is not to people who are perceived to be perfect. This promise is not to people who are moral. This promise is to people who have not made it yet. Who are grieving, who are meek, who are poor in spirit, who hunger and thirst for a right relationship with God. And God promises himself in mindset. But we're not done here. The second category of the Beatitudes, those who live for God, these first four were about a mindset, an attitude toward God. And these next three about, are, are about living for God, carrying out that attitude and action. The first is, blessed are those who are merciful. What is the word mercy? It's when you pardon somebody. Mercy is gracious forgiveness. Somebody asked me, I think it was last month, uh, I was in an interesting situation where, I mean, you know, things happen. Things happen to us. Sometimes people do right by us and sometimes people do wrong by us. But somebody was asking me, Jane, how do you be gracious? And how come so-and-so or whatever is not? And how do you grow in graciousness? Now, okay, wait. My answer was, or what they were asking me, they were saying, without disclosing anything, they were saying, not somebody from this congregation even, actually. Um, one of my friends was asking me, how do you be so gracious? Or how did you learn how to be more gracious in your time in ministry? And I said, I sinned more. What I mean by that, I'm not inviting people to sin. This is not, this is not an invitation to go and wall out. I am not inviting people to rebel against the Lord, but I am saying something about mercy. And it's that we are only able to forgive with grace when we realize that we are recipients of that. It was only when I fell farther than I thought I could fall. It was only when my ugliness reared its head that I was able to show grace, true grace, to somebody else. So it comes out of the sense of meekness. You understand? This reality check. I'm not as great as I think I am. I'm not as good a person as I think I am. And you go to God in the midst of that. Not just wallowing it at all, like, how could I be so terrible? But it's, Lord, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you love me 
even when I laugh. That births gentleness and mercy. What does this promise say? Blessed are those who are merciful, for they shall be given. They shall receive mercy. God promises. Mercy as we show mercy. He gives to us as we give to others. This is a promise. This is actually a very, it's very simple. But this is a very important thing. Because mercy is hard. There is a difference between saying, I'll let something slide, and saying, I'll show grace. Grace is difficult. We can forgive somebody, we can love people, and be graceless all at the same time. Like, oh, you did this, just the slightest thing? What's wrong with you? And we're quick to call people out. That's called a lack of gentleness. But more than that, it's a lack of grace. Sometimes it's hard for us, especially when in a context where we've been hurt, where we feel like we are in the right. I don't know, this especially can apply in a context of family. It is hard to show grace. Mercy is difficult. That's why mercy is not just given out to people by good people. Mercy is often more given out to people by people who are broken. Because mercy is difficult. It's not easily done unless you received it. But God makes a promise here. Jane Doe, what if this person has wronged me and I have not done anything to deserve this? What if I've been hurt and I have not, I do not deserve to be treated this way? This person clearly was in the wrong. God promises to show you as you give to others. Mercy. Mercy. The weight of mercy is only possible when you've given it. And some of us in our hurt, we might cross our, cross our legs, cross our arms. Yeah, you are completely justified in being hurt, but you might lack mercy. But those, to those who give it, they will also receive. Jane Doe, does that mean that God does not show mercy to people who do not give mercy? That is not what I'm saying. Not at all. But God promises. This is not a conditional. This is promise. This is not if you give mercy, then you will receive mercy. This is not a conditional. It's not an if-then statement. God is promising as you do the hard work of forgiving people and showing grace to people, I will be with you. I will give to you as you give to others. It's a promise of presence as you live for God. 
It is a promise of presence as you align yourself to God. As you do the hard stuff, I will not look away from you. As you fix your focus away from yourself, away from this world, away from what you want, onto me, I will not leave you nor forsake you. That's the Beatitudes. There are two more. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. What does it mean to be pure in heart? Does it mean to be pure? I am probably the most impure person here. It's not about, this is not about being naive. This is not about experience. It's not about being innocent. So I want to take this away from Christian hyperpurity culture. This is not about being, this is not about that. It's about broken people in a sinful world, okay? So it's not about that. But it's about people who are pure in their devotion, who are single-minded in their commitment, in their conviction to walk towards God. People who are pure in their devotion. In their, and here, this is the thing about devotion. Devotion is an ongoing thing. Devotion is not a product. Devotion is a process. I'm going to say that one more time. Devotion is not a product. Devotion is a process, which means we might not be, we might fall apart in our commitment, but we're looking there. We want it. We don't stop going for it. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. I might not be perfect, but I love God. I might not have done all the right things, but I love God. What does God promise? That you will see him. A God whom we cannot see promises that we will see him. He promises his presence. He promises his encounter. He promises himself. Blessed are the peacemakers. I love, I love this one because this one's the hardest. This one's the hardest. People who make peace. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? This is a, for those of you guys who know the Enneagram, the Enneagram 9 name is the peacemaker. But people are not naturally born with this trait. People who make peace. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? The term peacemaker only appears elsewhere in verb form in Colossians, where Jesus made peace by the blood on the cross. What I'm talking about here is to make peace is to be an agent of reconciliation. To make peace is to produce peace where peace does not reside. To make peace is to be an agent of growth, an agent of unity, an agent of peace where there is division, where there is 
conflict, to be a, an ambassador for reconciliation. People who reconcile as Christ did, people who heal division in community. What this means is that a direct, a direct action of being hungry for the Lord, of being meek, of being poor in spirit. There was a fourth. Of um, mourning is to make peace. This is hard for me. I'm sure most of y'all, most of y'all here, you guys are kinder people than me. I am not good at making peace. For me, as a person, I am very, I don't know if y'all, y'all probably, uh, yeah, y'all definitely don't know what's wrong with you guys. Keep this under wraps in Massachusetts at all times. But I am, I'm the type of person that is very confrontational. Outside of the context of ministry, if we're just meeting as people and you do something to cross me, I'm not trying to start a fight, but I will call it out, I will call it out immediately. If you act rude or out of line, I will call it out immediately. Now, I'm not like that here, but it will show sometimes because I'm a very passive, like if, you, if what you wanna do is not talk to me, I will let that be. I'm the type of person to kind of let that be. I'm not a person to actively try to reconcile, push what people want. Like if you don't want to talk to me, then you don't have to talk to me. This is not saying if you don't talk to me that we're not good. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying at all. That's not what I'm saying at all. Not everybody that I don't talk to is something, but I'm just saying like, just me as an individual, I'm not really one to push people past what they want to do. And so the way that it manifests itself in conflict is that if something's happened, I won't be, if you've, if you've communicated to me through your actions, through your body language, through whatever, that you don't want to make up, then I'm not one to force that. Um, that's just who I am. I don't know what kind of people you guys are. Maybe some of you guys are restless for reconciliation restless to talk it out. But if somebody doesn't want to talk anything out with me, I will go forever. Like, just because I'm not, I'm too tired, right? Too tired. You, you know, I, I'm an adult, you know? I'm old. I'm getting older. Turned 26 yesterday. I'm getting old. This is my 27th year, first day of my 27th year of life. I'm old. I don't have to, I don't have the same energy, right? Um, but this is a situation, just to be very transparent, where that action of mine does not align with scripture. So I hope my vulnerability about this helps us to be honest about ourselves too. That means that naturally, as a person, I'm not really much of a peacemaker. And it means that Part of my sanctification is to reconcile with people, is to generate peace where there is division. I'm not good at it. 
don't look to me as a, don't look to me in that context. Like, I'm learning how to do it too, you know? I've come a long way. I went from fighting people when I was in high school to this point where I'm chill about it, you know what I mean? It's, I've made progress, giving myself grace about it, okay? But at the same time, I have a lot of work to do in learning how to make peace. And this is probably one of the most broken parts of church. We all might struggle, and I think that's why the Lord takes us down this way. Because even if mercy is hard, to make peace, to reconcile, relate, there's something about like mercy is kind of an action, but peacemaking is more of a call. And so what does he say? What does scripture say? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. That word call, it means to invite and to call out. It's a sense of calling. God is calling and inviting the peacemakers to closeness and intimacy. Peacemaking is hard in church. For those of you guys who have been in relational conflict in the body, peacemaking is hard. And you know what? The world teaches you why should you have to. You're limited. Rest. Some relationships are just not meant to work out. And hey, this is this is this is not just the world. Like for me, I think that every day. To be completely frank with you, if I like, if I'm not a, if I wasn't a pastor, if I wasn't a pastor, I would not be close to a lot of people. Because I suck at that. It's easy for me to get comfortable and complacent. But the relationships I have and the relationships that haven't, aren't too smooth. But hey, here is God's call to make peace. Some people in this room needed to hear that today. If you are having a hard time making peace, this is your push to make peace. This is your push. God, I cannot look at you. So I cannot look at you in the eyes as I say that, <laughs> because I. I anyway, um, uh, yes, they will be invited and called as children of God. The last category of the Beatitudes: those who are persecuted. There are two types of persecutions: blessed are the persecuted, and blessed are the slandered. Blessed are the persecuted, the oppressed. This is where. The object or the subject of the action, the person doing the persecution, becomes clear. There's a connotation of this person being slandered and persecuted by the world. What does it mean to be slandered and what does it mean to be persecuted? To be persecuted is somebody, is, is when others seek your harm, when others are attacking. To be slandered is when somebody speaks evil against you falsely. When somebody specifically has a false utterance, a false utterance of evil against you. 
Persecution is something we don't see in America often. Slander is something we engage in and receive every day. Blessed. And here we see that the person doing the persecuting, the person doing the slandering is the world. Often that might even be each other. And this is where we see the merciful cannot expect mercy from the world. And peacemakers cannot expect peace from the world. Don't expect a lot of the times when our quality of life goes down, it is because of an expectation that nobody can meet. The world will not be merciful. That is not in the character of the world. The world is a world of chaos. Do not expect peace. But God promises himself. He promises his mercy. He promises his peace that was bought by his blood on your behalf in spite of the world because he loved the world. That's our God. And so when you do these things, when you have a mindset of purity in heart, when you seek out God for help and forgiveness, when you have a sense of humility and you live out relational gentleness, don't expect the world to reciprocate that. You're looking at the wrong person for the return. The return is up here. The return is with God. You cannot expect only what God can give you from people. It's not possible, it's not gonna happen. Nobody can be your God. That's why idolatry is hard. Because you want things that you can only, that only God can give you from people. You want complete belonging. You want complete security. You want complete protection from a human being who cannot do that. And yet, God promises himself. That's the Beatitudes. And to those who are persecuted, what is promised? The kingdom presently belongs to them. Only twice, only twice in the Beatitudes, present tense, the poor in spirit and the persecuted. Both of these are more in the context of oppression. Here we see that God cares about justice. Okay? He cares about justice. Whether or not justice is at our doorstep or not, God cares about that stuff. God cares about liberation from oppression. God cares about that. So if we care about God, we care about it too. Okay? But he has a kind of a different call for slander. Blessed are those who slander. He says what? What does God say in his promise? He says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward. The word reward is wages. Like you work as a teacher, you invest in your kids. As a first year teacher, you get back maybe 55,000 a year, your wage. How much money do you make in a year? Do you make six figures? Your wages. It's also a sense of affirmation and recognition. God is saying, when somebody falsely speaks against you, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward. It is a move of comfort. To those of you who might have been unfairly talked about, unfairly judged, right? God is saying, as you seek him, 
So you, you have to understand, we have reactions to things, right? Grief. You can either isolate or you can run to, if you are in the middle of being slandered and you are running to God, God is saying, rejoice right now before vindication has come, before your name is cleared, regardless of whether or not that actually comes to pass, regardless of whether or not people actually come to treat you right, rejoice today because great is your reward. And what is that reward? That's a future reward. But God is saying, I am not leaving you alone. For those of you who have been wronged, I do not leave you alone. This is a hard thing because sometimes those are, sometimes we have slandered. And we have. I have no doubt every single person in this room has participated in slander before, including myself. No doubt. I'm sure we've actually all done it this past week. No doubt. <laughs> just no doubt. I just, you know, those of you guys who are like, I really didn't. If you really haven't, oh my God, more power to you, right? But no doubt, in this, in this lifetime at least, for sure, for sure. So what if you have? What if you've done the slandering? Here we come back to the mourners. What are you doing with that grief? With that guilt? With that sorrow? What are you doing with it? Are you sitting in your condemnation, self-condemnation? Or are you saying, hey, or are you looking past it to seek after a God that gives you help and forgiveness forever? It's like a game of sorry. You know, sometimes you draw an action card, it's like going two steps back, you're still walking in the same direction, right? What if I'm the one who's done slandering? Go before, to the mindset. Walk towards God, for you will be comforted. Isn't that interesting? To those who have been slandered, God says, great is your reward. To those who have slandered, God comforts. This is our God. This is our God. Jane Doe, I feel judged by God. No, this, this is our God. How do we apply this? Clearly the Beatitudes, it sounded like lofty wisdom, it sounded like almost like something that you recite in the middle of service. But it's actually practical advice for what it looks like to depend on him, to serve his people. The first thing to apply is live in dependence, live in dependence on God with your finances, with your grief, with the things that you have done right and the things that you've done wrong, with the things that you've gained and the things that you have lost, with your pride, with your greatest desires and the things that you hunger after the most. Here is your invitation to focus back on the one who fills you and satisfies you. Maybe you are currently a mourner. Maybe you are currently somebody who is persecuted or slandered. Maybe you have done the slandering. Maybe you are a peacemaker 
or you are a peace breaker. Maybe you are meek. Or maybe in the midst of your pain, you're very high up there in your heart. Whatever it may be. This, I came here to tell you to turn to the Lord. Jane Doe, I get this all the time. Jane Doe, how do I practically live for God? Here it is. Here's your practical wisdom. Be in a reality check with your, about yourself with God. Give your mourning to the Lord. Trust God with your finances. Make peace. Even if you're not perfect, don't lose that purity of devotion. One of the reasons why I'm in a season right now of singleness, okay? And one of the reasons why I, actually, the main reason why, no, one of the reasons why I'm in a season of singleness, another reason is healing. I have a lot that I need to heal from. I'm up here in front of you and I look like I have it all together, but I'm very broken. But another reason for singleness is actually because sometimes when I'm in a relationship, my devotion is divided. And it causes me to lose sight of the Lord. That's why I'm single right now. I get asked all the time, when are you getting married? But that's why I'm single right now. It's because me in my heart, I don't know if I can properly steward a relationship without losing sight. I'm not calling anybody to singleness, by any means. That is not my place or my right. I am, I am a lover of love. You know? And we can talk about, we can talk about dating another time. We not, I'm not trying to open that can of worms right now. But I'm saying for me, for me, I struggle with devotion. There's practical wisdom here. Mercy is hard, but as you give it, God will give you more. Peacemaking is hard. You might not want to do it. And to be real, you don't have to. But as you seek God, you walk down the path of peace. Practical application, serve God through people. Serve God's people. Learn to serve. Some of us, we often, I get it all the time, Jane Doe, I can't serve because I'm imperfect. I can't serve God's people because I am not in a good place. None of us, none of us, None of us, none of us, even when you think you are in a good place, you are not perfect. What does it mean? I am not right with the Lord, therefore I cannot serve. No, as we get right with God, the natural action is serving at the same time. The way that getting right with God manifests is through service. You don't just serve when it's easy to. You don't just serve when you want to. 
We, American Christians, we live in an attractional model. We get a little bit consumeristic about our time in church. How come this person isn't serving me? How come this person hasn't reached out to me? No, no, no. A direct action that comes out of your faith is service. It's mercy and peacemaking. Actively, at the same time, not getting right with God and then. You cannot get right with God fully without this. And you know what? Here, I'm going to tell you something that a lot of pastors might not have ever told you. What does it mean to get right with God? We throw around that word about righteousness. You have to understand, you're imperfect. You and I are imperfect. We're never going to get to a place where we're completely right with the Lord. And God does not expect you to be perfect. See, God knows you. He knows your every weakness. He knows where you fall short every time. He knows you. He does not expect something of you that you cannot do. God is calling for your heart, your devotion. He's saying, instead of living for all of these things, why don't you live for me? Instead of depending on all of these things, instead of depending on all of these things, all of these people, all of these desires, why not me? This is what it looks like. And you're not going to be there. You're going to mess up. You're going to want to strive for peace today and not want that tomorrow. But as you keep going, he will show you the way. Christians, we got to learn to be uncomfortable. We've got to learn to be uncomfortable. And let God comfort us. instead of just comforting our own damn selves. Last, it's a long sermon of just practical wisdom. God blesses your yes. God blesses your yes. When we say yes to God, it's not just because. It's easy. When we say yes to desiring him more than the things that we hunger for, when we say yes to desiring him more than our comfort, when we say yes to walking and living in relationship with him, it's not easy. What the Beatitudes is saying is that God blesses your yes. You might be broken. You might be imperfect. You might have hurt people, and you might be hurt right now. You might be in sorrow. You might be confused about who you are. You might not want peace with people because people suck. And I get it, 100%. That's why I'm not normally like that either, okay? I get it. You know, I don't want peace. I get it. Me neither, okay? I don't always want that good stuff either, all right? But God blesses your yes. He blesses your present. He claims you presently. 
and he promises your future. And I'm not talking prosperity. I'm talking himself. I'm talking eternity. Not just 50 years of comfort in a big old house. But we're talking 500 years, 5,000 years. We're talking eternity. It's big stuff. And he promises that to your brokenness. In this world, you have to achieve to have a big house. But God promises this inheritance to your brokenness. So my invitation to you today is this. Are you willing to say yes? We all, when we act, sit at a crossroads. But are we willing to say yes to God? Are we willing to say yes to following him? Are we willing to say yes? What does that look like in your life? Is there mercy that needs to be extended? Is there a place where you you need to make peace? Is there a place where you need to fix your devotion on the Lord? Even when you don't want to. Where is your heart at right now? What are you looking towards? What do you live for? An activity? A person? And how far is that going to get you? How far? College? Your mid-20s? And then what? What are you living for right now? That's so worth saying yes to more than God. I pray that we would be able to find worth this morning. Would you be, would we would you join me in praying? Let's take this minute to pray. What do you feel convicted in right now? Some of us are grieving. Some of us are struggling. Some of us are meek and hard, possibly poor in spirit. Some of us might feel more broken, less broken. Maybe some of us, we lack mercy. Maybe some of us are just not devoted. I get it. I totally get it. But would we just open our hearts to say yes to God today? Knowing that his reaction to our brokenness, to even our apathy, is grace. 
It's comfort. It's call. He calls us. Even when we think we know better, he invites us. Would we be willing to take his heart invitation knowing that he promises himself, that he promises way more? Can we just take this moment to be honest with yourself and lift up a prayer to the Lord? Let's take this time and pray. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are blessed by this week's message. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com.